0: Hey there, my name is Allie and welcome to A Noble Earthquake, a podcast about California history. Growing up in New England, and especially in the Boston area, you tend to learn a lot about lighthouses established around the coast because you tend to visit them every summer over school break. plus. Boston is where the first lighthouse was officially established on Little Brewster Island. Hashtag humblebrag. This episode was inspired not only by that lingering nostalgia, but also by an exhibit I saw when I was visiting Fort Point earlier in September. Before the discovery of gold, San Francisco Bay was a sleepy harbor when compared to the booming port cities of the eastern United States. When gold was discovered in the American River in 1848, the level of activity in the bay skyrocketed as thousands of people chose to take the long seaward journey to their new lives in California. If you've been to San Francisco and checked out the area around the Golden Gate Bridge, you'll know that it isn't exactly a wide strait. In fact, it's relatively narrow and rocky, with destructive winds and currents and that pesky weather effect that makes San Francisco so special? Fog. In a nutshell, San Francisco's fog is created when water vapor in the Pacific encounters the cooler temperatures of the California current nearer the coast. This cooler air causes the temperatures to drop below the dew point, forcing the water vapor back into its liquid state. It condenses onto tiny particles in the air and voila, fog. San Francisco gets hit so hard because of its topography. The city is relatively flat when compared to the mountains along much of California's coast, and the Golden Gate itself creates a funnel effect. The heat from the valley pulls the cooler air through the gate, frequently blanketing the city of San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay in a cooler layer of fog that can range from a few hundred feet to over a mile high. This weather pattern is great for the coastal redwoods that rely on a moist climate to thrive, But it's not so great for mariners trying to make safe passage through the Golden Gate Strait. It became obvious to the Federal Lighthouse Establishment, which was established in 1789, created by Congress as the ninth piece of legislation in our country. That is insane. It became apparent that the Bay Area would need multiple lighthouses built along the coast for the protection of ships coming and going from the Golden Gate. By 1850, the year California entered the Union... There were plans for nine lighthouses to be built in the bay, with Fresnel lenses installed in each of them. Fresnel lenses were invented in 1822 by French physicist Augustin Fresnel. This lens is much more efficient at directing light than reflectors. Get this, an open flame alone loses 97% of its light. Old lighthouse reflectors don't help too much, you still would lose about 83% of the light. A Fresnel lens? only 17% of the light is lost, which is insane. I'll post a photo from the Fort Point exhibit panel on Fresnel lenses because I would not be able to accurately explain the physics of it enough to do it justice. But these lenses are far more efficient at directing light and were therefore used on all West Coast lighthouses. The different orders of Fresnel lenses were based on the size of the lens and how strong the light would be, with first order being the largest and most powerful, and Sixth Order being the smallest and weakest. At one point, there were 14 lighthouses operating in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, aiding ships in navigating not only the Golden Gate Strait, but the bay waters leading north to San Pablo Bay, Suisun Bay, and the greater Sacramento Delta that would eventually take 49ers north to the gold fields. I'm not going to cover all 14, but instead focus on the lighthouses currently in operation, and one that's not, along the Golden Gate. The first lighthouse to be established on the West Coast was on Alcatraz Island. The original structure was a Cape Cod-style cottage with the light in the center of the roof almost like a cupola. Its light first shone on June 1st, 1854 from a third-order Fresnel lens. The lighthouse keepers living on the island were not only responsible for maintaining the oil and trimming the wicks in the lighthouse, apparently gaining the nickname of Wickies, but also for sounding the fog bell whenever they saw the fog bank rolling in. Alcatraz light was minimally affected by the 1906 earthquake, surviving with cracks along the walls. However, the construction of the prison on the island blocked the path of the lighthouse and the cottage was torn down in 1909 to make way for the current tower. This newer lighthouse is 90 feet tall and is an icon of the island. Like, seriously, it's on every single piece of marketing material I've ever seen for Alcatraz. (laughs) In 1913, the fog bells on the island were replaced with sirens and the light was automated in 1963. Around the same time, the first of three lighthouses at Fort Point was established. The first one built at the fort was a similar style to the original house on Alcatraz, constructed as a cottage with the light above. However, it quickly became obvious that the light from this house was not strong enough and it was torn down to make way for a second light. This one began signaling in 1855, and its light could be seen anywhere from 10 to 12 miles out to sea. However, the currents passing by the fort quickly began to erode the shoreline nearby, forcing this second lighthouse to be torn down again while the base was reinforced with a granite seawall. The third lighthouse to be constructed at Fort Point is still standing atop the battlements, 106 feet above sea level. Built in 1863, the light from here could be seen along the entire horizon. The lighthouse keepers at Fort Point lived in a house built on the bluffs above the fort and would have to descend down the bluff through the fort and up a narrow spiral staircase to manage the day-to-day needs of the light. The lighthouse was decommissioned in 1934 because of the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, which directly obstructed the lighthouse. The fog signal and a navigational beacon were installed on the south tower as a replacement. But you can still visit the lighthouse at Fort Point today. It's actually uh, quite fun to go check it out. You can't go into it, unfortunately, but you can get pretty close to it. And it's just wild to see this lighthouse standing underneath this giant bridge. Fort Point also had a fog bell, but it was constantly complained about as being far too quiet to alert ships in enough time for them to correct course. The worst shipwreck in San Francisco history occurred at Fort Point, some say due to the inadequacy of the bell. In 1901, the ship, the city of Rio de Janeiro, struck the rocks near the fort and sank in eight minutes, taking 128 people with her. This tragedy forced the installation of a fog trumpet at Fort Point, as well as the construction of Mile Rocks Light and Lime Point Light. Around the same time as Alcatraz and Fort Point first started lighting the way for mariners, another light was being built 30 miles west of San Francisco. On a rocky group of islands, Farallon Island Light, also designed in a Cape Cod style, was built in 1855 and immediately torn down to rebuild due to the size of the First Order Fresnel lens being too large for the building. The island location was chosen to help mariners approaching from the west to avoid the dangerous rocks the lighthouse sat on. It was lit for the first time on January 1, 1856, and its first fog signal installed in 1858. Farallon Island had four lighthouse keepers plus their families living on the island, which is nice because it's 30 miles away from San Francisco. So hopefully y'all are friends and don't get into each other's business too much because that can only get awkward. In addition to being a light station, Farallon Island became a source of interest for local meteorologists. In 1902, a weather station was established on the island, and in 1913, the Navy set up a radio station, which was a great improvement for the Keepers and their families. Today, the outbuildings on the island, including those originally used by the Keeper families, are used by wildlife observers. The Fresnel lens was eventually removed and replaced with an automated era beacon, but you can still see the original lens on display at San Francisco Maritime National Historic Park. A bit closer to the Golden Gate is Point Bonita, jutting out like a crone's finger from the Marin Headlands to the north of San Francisco. While the original lighthouse was constructed in 1853 and lit in 1855, it was soon discovered that mariners couldn't see the light. It was built too high up and was constantly obscured by fog. Both the lighthouse and the fog signal, the first used on the west coast, were relocated to its present location on the southwest tip, which was lower in elevation. Reconstruction took time, but the new lighthouse began shining in 1877, and everything from the lower balcony up is from the original 1855 tower, including the Fresnel lens. This second-order Fresnel lens produces a beam that reaches 18 miles out to sea on a clear day. The lighthouse keepers at Point Bonita are credited with saving dozens of lives over the years as ships ran afoul of the rocky coast, so much so that a permanent life-saving station was installed on Point Bonita in 1899. I found this funny story while doing research. Um, Apparently, the fog signal at Point Bonita was activated in early December of 1931, not because of fog, but because of a particularly heavy snowfall. I think that's adorable. Uh, Today, the lighthouse actually has a fog sensor to trigger the fog horn. A laser beam emits from the lighthouse tower, and if water droplets or dirt particles hit the beam, the fog signal is triggered, which I think is super cool, but I'm a closeted weather nerd, so, you know. Point Bonita was the last manned lighthouse on the California coast, finally being automated in 1981. It is the only lighthouse in the country that is reached by crossing a suspension bridge, which was required after the rocks between the Keeper's House and the Lighthouse gave way. Now, Point Bonita is part of Golden Gate National Recreation Area, and the lighthouse and fog signal are maintained by the Coast Guard. Almost immediately across the mouth of the Golden Gate, situated near Land's End, is Mile Rocks Light, named so because it sits one mile south of the main shipping channel running in and out of the bay. It's part of a particularly dangerous group of rocks, including Blackhead, Lobos, and Pyramid rocks. The first navigational aid in this spot was nothing more than a bell buoy, which was quickly overtaken by the strong currents of the Golden Gate. The aforementioned sinking of the city of Rio de Janeiro pushed the lighthouse board to install a more powerful light on this rocky outcropping. Reading about Mile Rock's light really reminded me of um, Minot's light back in Massachusetts. And apparently other people have made the same connection as well because the type of lighthouse that Mile Rock's and Minot's light are. So they're completely surrounded by the ocean and they take the heaviest of beatings. They're the most dangerous to get to. They're probably the suckiest to have to operate. So yeah, it just made me think of that because Minot's light was destroyed by a storm like immediately after it was first built and it has since been rebuilt. But every photo you see of it, the tower is being walloped by waves that almost reach all the way up to the lantern. And if you look at photos of the old Mile Rock's light, it seems that this tiny lighthouse Took much the same kind of beating, and it's a lot closer to San Francisco than Minot's Light is to anywhere along the Massachusetts coast. So, a little bit of home in these photos. The ledge that Mile Rocks Light was built on measures 30 feet by 40 feet. So, you can imagine how difficult it was to construct the building of the lighthouse. The base is made of four foot thick walls of reinforced concrete enclosed with steel plates built 35 feet high. After that, the first tier of the lighthouse housed the oil engine and the compressor for the fog signal. The second tier held the kitchen, a day room, two bedrooms and a bathroom. And the third tier was the watch room. So pretty much if you imagine a three-tiered wedding cake sitting on a rock in the middle of the ocean, that's what mile rocks looked like. And I cannot imagine having to live on this island because you can, it's not even an island, it's a rock but you can see Land's End from this lighthouse. Apparently uh, keepers and their families, because it was so small, obviously they're separated. The keepers are on the rocky outcropping and their families are back on the mainland. Apparently they had to come up with creative ways of maintaining contact. And you're know, like you not gonna get mail very easily on this rock. Um, so one keeper's wife would take her dog for a walk through Land's End and use a flashlight to send a signal to her husband, who was a keeper, uh, to just like say hello and tell tell him that she was thinking of him. So I thought that was cute, but oh God, I can't imagine living on that rock. The third order Fresnel Lens on Mile Rocks was first lit in February of 1906 and was maintained by three keepers that lived on the second floor of the lighthouse, which again, that sounds awful. The Coast Guard decided to automate the lighthouse in the 1960s in an attempt to save money and also chose to add a helicopter landing pad to the platform, which you can see today. This required demolishing the top two tiers of the historic lighthouse and removing the Fresnel lens. While the station is now automated, the lens is still in operation at the old Point Loma lighthouse in San Diego. While ships today maintain an array of navigational computers on board, the lighthouses operating in and around San Francisco Bay still provide much-needed assistance while navigating the dangerous Golden Gate Strait. And that's going to do it for this episode of A Noble Earthquake. Thanks again for joining me. I know this was kind of short, and I know it was a little late. Please forgive me. I was in Disneyland this weekend. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and any others that you've listened to, I'd love it if you would leave me a review on iTunes. If you have questions, comments, ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch with me via the podcast Facebook page, tweet me at NobleEarthquake, or email me at earthquake at gmail.com. Thanks again to Marcos Bolanos for the intro-outro music of this episode, and I hope you join me next time.